Good morning and welcome to our Sunday service. Uh, hard to imagine that this is week 10 of our stay-at-home services. Hard to imagine that we've been doing this for 10 weeks and uh, several weeks still to come. We don't know how many more, but it's, uh, it's amazing how this COVID uh, situation has interrupted our lives to such a degree. If you think back, back into middle March when we first, you know, when it was kind of becoming a reality, I remember even Mike and I were talking about that Sunday service. It was Thursday afternoon and we just said, yeah, I think probably for the next two weeks, we probably need to do these online services and um, then we'll come back together after that. Those two weeks turned into six weeks, which turned into 10 weeks and who knows how many more. It's a huge interruption, but it's funny how we didn't even know that at the time. It just kind of unfolded, and, and uh, we've gained more information as we've gone. You know, for some of you, your lives have been interrupted as well. I mean, at first you thought, oh, it's just a couple weeks, you know, I just got to stay at home and figure out how to work with kids doing their schoolwork, and I can't go to the gym or my favorite coffee shop. But it was just a, just a kind of minor interruption. But then how that has moved on. For some of you, you've had birthdays during this time, and you had these, maybe these expectations of having this, this great dinner, some friends, and cake, and ice cream, and that's been all reduced to a little drive-by parade with some of your friends with balloons on their cars and writing your name on their windows, uh, shooting some graffiti that you have to clean up before the neighbors get upset. That's your birthday. You didn't see that coming at all. Or even Mother's Day. We had Mother's Day just last Sunday. And maybe some of you mothers were thinking like, oh, this is going to be great. It'll be a, a day at a cafe or a garden. It'll be a nice little lunch. And instead, you got Grubhub delivered from Applebee's. That's your Mother's Day. And you're going like, oh, what is going on? This is crazy. This is such an interruption to life. You know, we can talk about uh, weddings and funerals and certainly graduations. Our, our seniors are graduating here soon, and their, their whole, the end of their school has been changed. It's been interrupted. Graduation has been interrupted, and maybe they'll get a virtual uh, graduation. Maybe they'll have a, a little party later on in the summer, hopefully. But all of this has changed, and it, and it wasn't immediate. It just unfolded little by little. Well, I, I say all that because we're talking about uh, the disciples today, and we're seeing how they, they early on, they said, we're going to follow Jesus. But I don't think that they comprehended all that that would mean. Little by little, this, this whole idea of discipleship and being a follower of Jesus is meaning more to them each and every day. Each experience is just a little bit more of, of what Jesus is trying to teach them, how to walk and follow him, to walk in faith. And so for the disciples, you know, at first it was just, this seems like a guy that we should follow. John the Baptist talks about him. He seems like a good quality guy. He teaches with authority. He's able to do some miracles. We're intrigued. We're interested. We'll follow. Then we come to Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, which we spent, you know, in the last few weeks looking at. And we see that this is intentional for Matthew as he is, is, is um, showing not just who Jesus is, but what he thinks and how, how, what he's preaching, what his message is. His message specifically in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is how you enter the kingdom. How you enter the kingdom of God. And just to give a, a quick summary of this whole Sermon on the Mount, as we call it, he basically is saying that, hey, all of you are religious. All of you want to enter the kingdom of God. But I'm telling you, it's not what you think. 
The people that you think are going to be in the kingdom of God won't be there. Instead, you have to listen and you have to listen to my word and obey. In the kingdom of God, you enter with a humble heart. That's how you're going to come into this kingdom. He spends some time talking about that. And then he closes this with some word pictures. And he just says, this is what we talked about last week. He says, you need to be aware that there's all these people that want to go to the kingdom of God. And they're all on this road. But that's not the road you need to be on. The road is wide and it looks nice. There's fruit trees and there's houses along this road. But that's not the road. Pay attention. Instead, look for the small gate. And the narrow road, that's the road you need to be on. That's the road that leads to the kingdom of heaven. And on that road, you'll find some fruit trees, and they're going to be, it's going to be beautiful fruit. Right? The, the wide road, that has fruit trees too. But those, that fruit is no good. It looks good. It looks like those mangoes that are sitting on your kitchen table, and you're, you're waiting for them to get ripe, and you feel them, and they're, and they're nice and soft. And so you cut into them, but instead of seeing bright orange, soft, and supple fruit, it's all brown and kind of gross. He says that's what it's like on the wide road. But instead, on the, in the narrow road, it's the good fruit. And, and furthermore, there's, there's houses And on the wide road, those houses, they look good, but they're built on sand. And when the storm comes, they're going to fall down. But on the narrow road, those houses are built on on rock. They have a strong foundation. That foundation is Christ. So his message is just, if you want to enter the kingdom of God, you enter with a humble heart, and you enter through the narrow road, where good fruit will be produced, and a strong foundation will be built, that you will be able to survive anything that comes your way. That was his message. Well, now we flip over into Matthew chapter 8. And the interesting thing about Matthew 8 and 9, which we'll get at next week, is that in this passage, there's a little bit of teaching, but it's mostly miracles. Here in these two chapters, there's 10 miracles that Jesus does. And he's, he's now he's backing up his teaching. He's basically saying, this is what I taught. I taught about the kingdom of God, but now I'm going to show you what it looks like. I'm going to show you the power, the authority that I have, that the kingdom of God has, and that you will have if you are in this kingdom. And so we're going to look at some of these these miracles, and we can't look at them all, but we're going to look at a couple of them. And and just so we don't get caught up with all the miracles and all the cool stories, we, we have to remember why Matthew is including these. So Matthew cares deeply about showing what a disciple looks like. He's, he's describing the attitude and the, the thought pattern of discipleship. And so with all of these miracles, these are miracles that the disciples are watching, they're seeing, and they're understanding, or they're trying to understand, understanding how they are to live in the kingdom of God. And so here's what we're looking at, and the, the, the question that we have is, how do we follow the Savior? What is he going to be asking for us? What's he going to be expecting out of us? And so today, just the the main point that we just want to drive home is that as we all are following Jesus, as we're somewhere in this, um, somewhere in this, this pattern of discipleship, as we are learning who Jesus is and how to submit to him with our lives, we're learning today that Jesus is trustworthy that he's completely trustworthy, and that we can trust him with all of our heart. We can trust him with all of our emotions that will be coming. So we're going to see that here in a couple of these passages.
So right now we'll look first at the heart. And as the disciples are understanding what it means to follow Jesus, he kind of pulls back the, the curtains, so to speak, of one aspect. And it starts here with not a miracle, but with some of the teaching. That here's, uh, they're coming down the mountain, they've done some, he's done some miracles, and, and now he's ready to go. He's ready for some quiet time. He's ready just to get away. But just before he does, these two people come up to him, and they just, they don't even ask him questions. They make these statements. And, and Jesus is going to respond and say and just, you know, here's what I'm asking. I'm asking for your whole heart. That's what he wants. He doesn't, he's not interested in just kind of a half-hearted hobby or interest, but he wants all of us. So, several of you have these hobbies that you, you're interested in. I call them half-hearted hobbies because you're interested. Maybe you bought the material and you bought the supplies, but you don't spend a lot of time doing it. Maybe it's working on cars and, you know, you have a few tools. But when it comes down to it, you'd rather just go to the mechanic. Maybe you have a half-hearted uh, hobby of sewing. And you have a sewing machine and you have fabric and you have the pattern. But maybe even at the beginning of COVID, you said, you know, what I'm going to do as my goal is to learn how to sew. I'm going to sew pajamas and face masks and pillowcases and socks and whatever else but that sewing machine is still sitting in the closet down the hall. It's a half-hearted hobby, and we have these things. But here are some disciples, some, some people that come up, and they're, they're asking if they can kind of follow Jesus half-heartedly. That's basically what they're saying. And, and here's what they say. They, they, they're not even asking him questions. They're just making statements. These two individuals have one minute with Jesus, and here's what they say. The first one says this, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. I'll follow you wherever you go. Interesting. Whatever that means. I'll get to that. The second one, though, says this, Lord, first let me bury my father. That's all he says. The first guy says this, I'll follow you wherever you go. Basically, what he's saying is, I'm on your team, Jesus. I'm dependable. I'm motivated. I'm dedicated. I like adventure. You can count on me. I'll be there. He's proud. He's proud to follow Jesus. He's happy about this. He's happy about the adventure that Jesus is going to take him on. He's excited to see some new things, some new places, try some new food. He's excited to use his gifts and his skills for Jesus. But Jesus says this. He responds with this kind of weird proverb. He says, foxes have dens and birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Also an interesting statement as he responds back to him. What Jesus is saying is, yeah, you want to follow me. You're excited. You're, 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 you have enthusiasm, and that's great. But following me is maybe not what you think it's going to be. See, I'm not going to be living in high-rises or penthouses, and, and people aren't going to be excited to have me come and visit. They're not going to throw parades. No, it's going to be quite the opposite that I'm going to have to suffer, that following me is going to be difficult. There will be moments of joy. There will be moments of excitement. But by and large, it's a tough following. It's going to be hard. He calls himself the Son of Man. That's the first time Jesus uses this, this phrase. It's really his favorite phrase to describe himself. And it comes from Daniel 7, and it, it means uh, it's, it's a, a title of divinity on the one hand. But he also uses it several places to describe his humanity and the suffering 
and, and just the, the hardness of what he, his life will take on and, and ultimately his death that he will die. Following Jesus is not this glamorous adventure, but it's a tough journey. Are you willing to take it? The next guy says, you know, hey, I'm going to follow you, but first let me just bury my father. Let me just take care of those things. And what he's saying is, Jesus, you're important. And I plan, I have every intention to get to following you. I'm going to give you my time. You're important, but I have a, a first priority, and that's taking care of my family. And it's a good one. It's a good priority. Who can argue with that? So the thing is, though, he wasn't, it wasn't like his father had just died, and he's saying, hey, Jesus, can you hold on? Can you give me one hour, and I'll be with you? Let me just take care of this very important thing. It's not that. Otherwise, he wouldn't have been there with Jesus. Or if he would have been, he would have brought his father saying, hey, can you heal him? Instead, he's just saying, hey, my father's getting old. And I do, as a, as a son, I have a responsibility to bury him. So here's what we'll do. Jesus, I'm going to make a deal with you. Let me take care of him first. And then I'm going to catch up with you and I'm going to follow you later on. Don't worry, I got Thomas's cell phone. I know where to find you. I'll, I'll, be, I'll, I'll be right there. Just, just give me some time. See, Jesus is important to him, but he's not the priority. And Jesus responds back to him, too. He says, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. What he's basically saying is, no, I need to be the priority. I'm not going to be second priority or third or fourth. And, and you can't wait. The opportunity is here. It's now. That's nice that I'm important to you. But I can't just be important. I have to be the most important. I have to be the priority. So sometimes we get down on these guys and uh, we kind of judge them a little bit. But really, I think they're very similar to us. The one guy who says, I'll follow you wherever you go, he's proud. He's excited. Uh, we, we do the same thing. We say, follow, Jesus, I will follow you wherever you take me. I've been on four mission trips in three continents. I have served the homeless in three different food pantries. I, I give to the church and 12 different missionaries. I give to good causes. I'll follow you wherever you go. It's a good thing. But what Jesus is asking for here is saying that I've got to be number one. I've got to be priority. Now's the moment. Now's the time. Thank you for doing good things. But this is going to be tough. I'm going to ask you to go to hard places. The second guy, though, who says, I'll, I'll get to you soon. You're important. It's the same thing for a lot of us. I, I think if you ask people in the church, what's, the, what's one of your biggest struggles is in following Christ? It's that of being, uh, keeping him as a priority. I think so many times it slips. He, we want him to be the priority, but it slips in, in different ways. To, to use the phrase that I see at, at Target on shirts and all that, it's just to say it, say it this way. Jesus, you're important, but first, coffee. All right? Or, Jesus, you're important, but, but first, school or work or kids' activities. Jesus, I'm going to follow you. You're important, but first, sports or first, work or first, fill in the blank. We have these things. Each one of us, we struggle with this. We struggle with keeping Jesus as the priority. But for the disciples who are hearing this, they're hearing this message of being a priority, of following Jesus is not going to be easy, 
but it's going to take all of our hearts. We have to give him everything. We don't hold anything back from him. It will require some tough stuff. Are we ready to move forward as disciples to go where he leads us and to go now to make him that priority? That was the first thing that was unveiled to them. But there's one more here in this passage that we'll talk about today. And there's several more as we go through. But now it's going to turn. And at first it was Lord's requiring our hearts. He deserves our hearts. But now we're going to look at that trust. Just that aspect of trust. And, and what do we do with our emotions? And, and how do we trust him in the midst of fear or in the midst of anxiety or panic or anything? So here, as we move to verse 23, the disciples get a front row seat to what Jesus is doing. Uh, till now, they've been passive. They've just watched. They've seen him heal. They've, seen, they've listened to him teach. But now they get to experience all that he's put together. In some ways, it's like their, their first exam. And let's see how they do. Here it says in verse 23, it says this, As he got into the boat, the disciples followed him. So Jesus is like, I'm ready to go. He gets in the boat and is sitting there, and the disciples finally say, oh, yeah, Jesus is already in the boat. Let's go. Then it says in verse 24, Suddenly, a violent storm arose on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was sleeping. So the disciples came and woke him up, saying, Lord, save us. We're going to die. But he said to them, Why are you fearful? you of little faith. Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the wind and the sea obey him. You see, they had been just listening to Jesus. They'd been seeing his authority in other people, but now they got to see it themselves. They have this front row seat. They're here on the Sea of Galilee, and I don't think there's any exaggeration to say that for them, this is their worst nightmares. This is their biggest fears that are coming true. That Jesus seemed to have orchestrated this to say, I'm going to test you. I'm going to push you to the limits. I want to see how you respond. See, they had grown up on this sea. A lot of them were fishermen. They've all grown up in this area. And the one thing that they knew is that more people die in this sea from storms than anything else. Not by fish, being bit by fish or anything like that. There's no sharks, no whales, but it's storms. And so this is the one thing that they thought about when, when they leave for work and they're saying goodbye to their moms or their wives or their kids. In the back of their minds, they're saying, I just hope there's no storm today. When they are pushing off uh, from the banks to go out to the water, that's what they do. They do one last look at the sky to see if there's any storm clouds that they have to be aware of. This is what they looked at while they were fishing for these storm clouds. But, but here, for whatever reason, the storm was so sudden, it just came upon them. And it's going to push them to the limits. Now, uh, imagine, put yourself in their shoes. Imagine you're, let's say, um, let's say Thaddeus. He doesn't get a lot of airplay. He doesn't get a lot of Bible time. So uh, you're Thaddeus, and uh, you're just happy. You're in the boat, and uh, this is a nice little retreat. You know, you're kind of excited. You get in the boat, and you're like, oh, we're going to do some fishing. You know, you're all excited. You're like a little kid, all excited. And you can see Peter and James and John and Andrew kind of looking at you going like, ah, a little rookie. He's cute. 
So you go out, you're out for a little while, and all of a sudden you see this, the wind and the waves. They start to kind of pick up a little bit. And you haven't been on the, on the lake much, so you get a little nervous. But you look over at Peter, and Peter's fine. Peter's just, he's riding this thing. He's like, oh, we're, we're fine, we're fine. There's no nervousness in him at all. But all soon, the waves get big and big. And then you see Peter, James, and Andrew, and John, and they, they start to get nervous. And now they're, they're kind of, their voices are raised, and they're not just talking, but they're yelling at each other. And they're, you know, do something. What, do you, what does it look like I'm doing? Get the water out of the boat. That's what I'm doing. You could hear them kind of yelling at each other. And it's starting to get tense. Meanwhile, John looks over at the direction of Jesus, and he sees him sleeping. And you could see him kind of like, what should I do? I, I can wake him up, but... But then he stops. He's like, he's just a carpenter. I mean, what does he know? He might know how to build a boat, but he doesn't know how to get us out of a storm like this. Let, we, we can take care of this. Maybe he looked at Andrew and said, Andrew, he's the best captain on this whole lake. He, he can do this. We won't bother him yet. We'll take care of it ourselves. But soon they were overwhelmed. The waves were coming in. The water is filling up in the boat. And they're, they're nervous now. And now they're scared. And, and now they're, they think they're going to die. You can see some of the disciples are hugging each other and crying out. Some of them are, are uh, maybe confessing sins or you know, expressing their love for someone. But then they come to Jesus. And they approach him finally. And they wake him up. And the, the words that they say is this. They say, they say, Lord, save us. We're going to die. We're going to drown. It's like Jesus was the last resort. It's kind of like they've tried everything else. They tried their, all, all of their own abilities. They, they, they came together and they used uh, the skills and the resources they had. But they never came to Jesus. And when they finally did, they finally woke him up. And said, we're going to die. Lord, is there anything you can do to save us? But what Jesus says next changes everything. And they, they probably will remember it for their whole life. Jesus looks at them. And he says, what are you afraid of? Why are you so fearful, you of little faith? And it's kind of obvious. I mean, the, everybody's like, that's what we're afraid of. Look at those waves. Look at the water filling up in the boat. That's what we're afraid of. Then it says, Jesus gets up and he rebukes the wind and the sea. And it's still. It, it, everything, all the wind, it just goes away. It becomes flat. The danger's gone. The, the dragon has now become a little puppy. And the fear is gone. But the disciples look at him and say, who is this guy? Who is this man that even the wind and the sea obey him? I'm sure for some of them, they flash back to Psalm 89. Maybe now, maybe it was later, but they read that. It's a psalm about God and his, his sovereign rule. And in verse 9, it says, You rule the raging sea. When the waves surge, you still them. It was a verse. It's a psalm about God and his power. And here is this man, Jesus, who did exactly what that psalm was talking about. He calmed the raging sea. Who is this man? It's safe to say the disciples didn't exactly pass the test. 
but I think they learned a lot because we learn through tough times. We learn through these, these very emotional and fearful experiences. And I think as they were probably processing this, as they're learning, they learned a little bit about what they're supposed to do with fear. That life is going to have fearful situations. This was one of them, and this really scared them. But they're going to have more. The very next miracle, there's fear in that. There's going to be more fear along the way. And, and they as disciples, and, and we as followers of Jesus, disciples, we also have to know what do we do when we're afraid? What do we do when fear is welling up, when it's overwhelming us? When Jesus said, what are you afraid of? Why are you so fearful? Where is your faith? I think what he meant by this is that these men waited until they had no other options and then they came to Jesus. They waited until fear had gripped them. It had overcome them. It was controlling them. And when they woke up Jesus from sleep, it, he wasn't mad that they woke him up from sleep, but he, they looked at him with fear in their eyes and fear in their words and fear in their heart. And Jesus is saying, you can't let fear overwhelm you. You can't just come to me every time when you've exhausted everything else and there's nothing left to do and you're afraid and you're scared and then you come to Jesus. That's not when I want to be into your picture. That's not when I want to enter into your life. He's saying, I want you to come when the fear is first there. See, fear is, it's, is okay. Fear is a normal emotion and it's normal. And, and I don't want you to hear this, and maybe you've heard these things, that, you know, good Christians, they're not afraid. The good Christians never have fear. Stop being fearful and all that. That's not what he's saying. Because fear is real, and we will experience that. And it all, it, fear is a good motivator, too. And it motivated them, finally, to come to Jesus. But what Jesus is asking, he's saying, I, I want you to come to me with eyes full of trust rather than eyes full of fear. I, I want you to bring that fear when it first starts welling up, when you first identify that that's what's going on, that you're getting afraid. I want you to come to me. I want you to bring that to me. I want you to trust that I can take care of it and have faith that I'm with you. I want you to bring your fear to me when it's still little, when your trust and your faith is bigger than your fear. See, some of us have experienced that. We've been living for the last 10 weeks or more with this fear. And it's not just fear that has lasted a day or an hour. It's fear that has been going on and on. And we're afraid of this virus. We don't know what to do with it. We don't know how it's going to act. Uh, we're afraid of getting sick ourselves. We're afraid of getting someone else sick, our family members or mom and dad or grandparents sick. There's, fear is real. But how do we bring that to the Lord? Do we wait and say, I'm not going to bother the Lord. I'm just going to kind of let him do his thing. And I'm going to just try to work it out myself. And we'll let government and the city government and federal government and all these other plans. And we'll use our social services. And if something still doesn't work, then I will come to the Lord. Or can we bring it to him now? And saying, Lord, I, I am afraid. I'm fearful. And before this overwhelms me and before it controls me and manages me, I want to bring it to you. I want to give it to you.
And I want to learn how to trust you. And I want my faith to grow. I want my faith and my trust in you bigger than any than I have in, in, in what's around us. Now, it doesn't mean, doesn't mean that we can be foolish, that we can just not wear our mask and uh, we can go wherever we want. We don't have to wash our hands or anything like that. That's not what he's saying. But how do we responsibly come to the Lord and just say, listen, I'm going to do everything I can to protect myself, but I'm bringing my heart, I'm bringing my emotions to you. And I'm asking that you will take care of me. You will meet me there. And just as you took care of the disciples in the boat, so you will take care of me in my life. I'm coming to you first. You are the God that deserves all of my heart. And with that, you deserve all of my emotions. See, Paul says the same thing a little later when it relates to anxiety and worry. He's saying it's not like we should never be anxious and we'll never worry. Of course we're going to have those things. But what do we do with it? We cast them to the Lord. We give them to the Lord. We're saying, I'm going to give you my worry, my anxiety, my fear. And I'm, I'm, I'm looking, Lord, to, to trust you and to have faith in you and to grow into you. Lord wants all of our hearts. He wants all of our fear. He wants us to trust him with everything. This is a hard time. There's a lot to be fearful of. Not only getting sick, but then it's the economy. It's our finances, and we're afraid of that. But how can we as disciples, as followers of Jesus, bring him even that? Just be able to say, Lord, I'm, I'm starting to get nervous about this. My retirement and uh, my bank account. I'm getting nervous. I'm getting afraid, but I'm, I'm, I'm coming to you first. I'm, I want you to walk with me through this journey. I want to grow in my faith and trust, and I know that you've got me. I know you're going to take care of me. For some of you, it's just transitions that are coming up. Some of you are going to be going into college or some, maybe some into high school, and that's a whole new other area of fear. What's it going to be like? How's this all going to work? And you get fearful, but it's coming to the Lord first and saying, Lord, you have my heart and you have all of my emotions. I'm giving everything to you. I, I, I want to give you all of these, all my fear, all my nervousness, all my anxiety. I want to give it to you and I want you to walk with me. I want you to take care of me. I know you will and see me through this time. I know there's going to be scary moments. I know there's going to be storms, but to know that you are with me, that you are the God over all. You're the God over all sickness, over all nature, the, the God over all demonic and the, the, the unseen spiritual world. You're the God over that. You've got me. I'm in your hands. You imagine being a disciple, hearing all the teaching, seeing what Jesus is doing, but then being in that boat and, and being afraid and then learning this is how I'm to respond. I'm to give him, I'm to come to him first, first and foremost, and let him enter into this. He's a God that is good. He's a God that's in control. He's a God that is sovereign. I can trust him. I can trust him with my life. I can trust him with my heart. I can trust him with my emotions. I can trust him with everything. As we look at this, we see that Jesus is not interested in just half-hearted devotion. He's not interested in just being important. And he's certainly not interested in being a last resort. He wants to be first. First in our lives, our priority. 
to give him all of our heart, to trust him with that, to give him everything, all of our experiences, to give him with that and let him be there. Let him be God. Let him be Lord in our lives. And so the disciples were learning. It took them a while. They didn't get it the first time. But that's what I hope we're learning. I hope we as followers of Jesus are learning to give him more and more of our heart, to give him more and more of our emotions, to let him walk with us through the, the darkness, the storms of life, knowing he's got us. He's got us in his strong hands.